Good morning. It is so good to have you here. Today we're going to kind of go through a Reader's Digest version. If you're using those marked journals, get them out. We're going to kind of zip right through this passage very, very fast. And, and so you may not want to make notes as we, as we kind of give a Reader's Digest version. In 8, 22 through 26, Jesus heals that blind guy. It's interesting because uh, uh, he's blind, he touches him, and he says, well, I kind of see things, uh, it's not real clear, it's not super clear, and so Jesus touches him a second time. Now, what's, what's going on here? Did Jesus have kind of a, a power outage or something? Why would Jesus have to touch him two times? This has never happened before, won't ever happen again, just right here, what's, what's going on? Do you remember last week? Again, we've been talking about how the disciples are missing it, going right over their head. Last week at the end of the passage, Mark 8, Jesus says this to the disciples in 8.18, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Do you not remember all these things that have been going on? Do you not remember all the healings and all the miracles and all the sermons? Do you not remember that stuff, boys? Disciples had eyes, they had ears, but they weren't hearing, they weren't seeing. In the next story, what we're gonna see is Peter's going to declare that Jesus is the Messiah, big deal, great, but then right on the heels of that, Jesus, or Peter is going to rebuke Jesus. Hello, he's the Messiah, no rebuking messiahs. Disciples, again, been with Jesus three years. They had been touched by Jesus, if you will, but they weren't seeing clearly, just like this blind guy. Same thing, he'd been touched by Jesus, but he wasn't seeing clearly. He was a, a living, breathing example of what the, the, the disciples were living out. That's the point. So Jesus touches this guy a second time, boom, he's, he's totally healed. In Mark 8, 27 through 9, 1, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Good job, Peter, way to go, Peter. But then on the heels of that, Jesus tells the disciples exactly what the Messiah means. It means he's going to suffer, be rejected, killed, and on the third day, rise again. And Peter says to this in his responses, uh, Jesus, can I talk to you for a minute? Um, I don't know if you understand this, but that's not what Messiahs do. <laughs> I just want you to know, that is not it. And in the English Standard Version that you have in those journals, it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Let that sink in for a second. Peter just announces, declares, Jesus, you're the Messiah. But now Peter thinks he knows more than the Messiah. FYI, he didn't. But don't be too harsh. I know people, sometimes it's me, who, who, who think they know more than God too. God, why did you do that? God, why didn't you intervene there? God, don't you understand how important this is? God, don't you know how, how, how I care for that? God, why, why weren't you, why, your timing was off. God, why couldn't you have come earlier? I think a lot of times we think we know more than God Almighty. We, we think that we have it all figured out. Listen, we're not always going to understand the workings of God. There's a news flash. He's God. We're not. But, but he is God, and he is good, and we can trust him, even in a pandemic, especially in a pandemic, we can trust him. So 
Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus' response to Peter is, get behind me, Satan. Last week I told you you never want Jesus to call you stupid. You never, never, never want Jesus to call you Satan, but that's what happens. Next story, 9, 2 through 13, is the event that we call the transfiguration. Jesus transfigures. Mark says it this way. Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them whiter than white. Better than that, Jesus meets with Moses, represents the law. Better than that, Jesus meets with Elijah, represents the prophets. Better, even better than all of that, the disciples hear a voice from heaven, God Almighty, saying, this is my son. Listen to him. Powerful, powerful moment on that mountain. They come down the mountain. That's the next story, 9, 14 through 27. And they come down from this powerful moment to a very grisly scene, a dad with his Uh, a demon-possessed son. It's terrible, 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 terrible. All you parents know how terrible that could be. When your kid is full of the devil, when he's making poor choices, she's making poor choices, doing things that was not taught, it can put you through the ringer. That's exactly where, where this kid is at. So, of course, Jesus chases the demon out of that kid. And then in verses 28 and 29, the disciples go to Jesus and they, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? You did it. Why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we chase the demon out of that kid? Now, before you get too harsh on the, on the disciples through all that, I've been saying how they've been you know, missing it the whole time. Before you get too harsh on them, when was the last time you chased a demon out of anybody? Keep this story in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to it. Verses 30 through 32, Jesus now for the second time. If you're keeping track at home, you online viewers, if you're keeping track at home, this is the second time that Jesus told the disciples in this passage exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed. Three days later, he's going to rise. You would think after two times the disciples would figure this out. I mean, he's told them twice. They're on their way to Jerusalem. You'd think they'd figure it out. Remember the blind guy, beginning of the sermon story? Not clearly seeing, been touched, but not clearly seeing. The disciples, they're partially blind, still are. They don't get it. You can tell that they're not getting the seriousness of the moment by what happens next in verses 33 through 37. The disciples are arguing. What are they arguing about? You're not going to believe that. I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to believe it. Again, they're on their way to Jerusalem. This is the final trip. This is, this, is, this is the final exam. But they're flunking out. Jesus told them twice, we're going there, I'm going to be beaten, going to be flogged, going to be crucified, going to die, buried, third day, going to rise. So what are the disciples arguing about? Verse 34, for on their way, they argued with one another about who was the greatest. Are you kidding me? They're with Jesus. Peter has already declared, he's the Messiah. The three of them, Peter, James, John, they heard God Almighty himself say, this is my son, listen to him. And so now they're arguing about who's the greatest? I don't even know what to say. What words do you say about that? That's just crazy. I wonder if God Almighty ever wonders about why we argue about some of the things that we argue about. Listen, if, if, if I'm Satan and I want to thwart what God is doing in the world, what would I do? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'd get Jesus' followers to start arguing over stupid stuff. Who's the greatest? Maybe I'd get them arguing about politics. Or, you know, the old joke was, you know, carpet color. This is going to be black, by the way. No arguing about it. It's going to be black. It's going to hide all the cords. I don't know, stupid stuff. Mask, no masks. Am I stepping on toes yet? I hope so. 
Listen, I've been around church folks my whole entire life. We have an important mission in this world, and that's to show our world Jesus. That's our purpose. That's the plan. That's the goal. That's the commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and and teaching them everything that I've taught you. That's our job. Now, if I'm the evil one, what would I do to get people to stop doing their job? It's arguing over stupid things. Who's the greatest? Are you kidding me? Jesus is right there. We fall in the same trap when we get caught up in stupid arguments that take us away from our purpose and mission in this world. It gets worse. How can it get worse? 9, 38 through 40. There's a dude chasing out demons. Remember I told you put that in the back of your head and the disciples couldn't. Bring it to the forefront. Guys chasing out demons. Doing something that the disciples could not do, remember? He's chasing out demons. They couldn't chase out demons. And so what does John say about that? Verse 38. Teacher, we saw someone chasing out demons in your name. We tried to stop him. (laughs) He's doing what they couldn't do. Because he's not following us. It's kind of like the old story of D.L. Moody when uh, a lady came up to D.L. Moody, old evangelist, a century ago more than a century ago, and said, I don't like the way you're leading people to Jesus. He said, okay, how are you leading people to Jesus? She said, I'm not. He said, well, I like the way I'm leading people to Jesus better than the way you're not leading people to Jesus. The disciples are partially blind. We told him to stop because he's not one of us. Disciples aren't getting it. They're just not getting it. Listen, I'm Nazarene through and through. I mean, I wasn't born in Pilot Point, Texas, but... But, but I am Nazarene, I'm a Nazarene kid, take Nazarene naps, grew up on the Nazarene campgrounds. This is supposed to be a camp meeting week. Grew up on Nazarene campgrounds practically. I, I went to Nazarene college, so did my boys, you know. I, Nazarene, Nazarene. I could probably name every general superintendent from Phineas Epperzee to Philly Chambo with one arm tied behind my back. You need to pray for Connie uh, Cunningham, by the way, because former general superintendent uh, of Paul Cunningham passed away yesterday. I know all of those things, I'm Nazarene. This is Olivet Sunday. I love Olivet. I, I think all our students should go to I Love it, love it, love it. But we're not the only kids on the block. Our church neighbors next door, they're not the enemy. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus' words right here in Mark 9, 40, for the one who is not against us is for us. Doesn't matter what the name is above the door, if they're preaching Jesus, if they're preaching the Bible, they're for us, not against us. He tells us we need to love one another. All right, 9, 42 through 50. Jesus gives a lesson on the temptation of sin. The big lesson is hell is forever. Sin will take you there. Don't mess around with sin. Do not mess with things you know are wrong. You don't need me preaching a sermon on things you know are wrong. You already know they're wrong. Don't mess with it. Don't flirt with it. Don't get close to it. Don't mess with sin. Hell is forever. That's Jesus' message. That's Jesus' point. In chapter 10, verses 1 through, 2, Jesus, 1 through 12, Jesus gives a lesson on divorce. Again, there's a reason why God hates divorce. Every divorced person I know knows that reason. Divorce hurts. Divorce causes pain. Divorce stinks. God hates divorce. Everybody should hate divorce. Divorce hurts people, mostly children. And right on the heels of that divorce talk, Jesus gives a lesson in verses 13 through 16 on the importance of children. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belong to the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Kids are important. 
You know, right now we don't have our nurseries going, we don't have discovery camp, we don't have, have base camp, we don't have any of those things. We're giving out bags, our kids are in the sanctuary with us, hopefully not forever, just for another month or so. We hope, we hope, we hope. But we're glad they're here. And parents, if you've got kids and if they're wiggling and running around, don't worry about it. We love children. Kids are the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. Didn't you love our youth band? Aren't they awesome? Two of them are going to be freshmen this year at Olivet, and Sarah's already at Olivet, but so pray and pray and pray again for them. They're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. That's, that's Jesus', Jesus point. Okay, 10, 17 through 31. Jesus has a conversation with the rich young ruler. I've preached on this so many times, I don't need to go too much into it. He looked good, sounded good. I've kept all the commandments. Great, Jesus said, great. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, then come and follow me. But you know what happens. No can do, Jesus. And he turned and walked away sad. I have a friend of mine who, a long time ago, came and showed me uh, his brand new car. He, he and I were close. I, I, I later went back to look up the car, and it cost him between seventy dollars and $90,000, I think. And um, again, I know this. He didn't, he, 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 he didn't give a dime to his church. And I remember he drove away, and as soon as he drove away, the Lord put it on my, on my heart. I said, there goes a rich young ruler. It broke my heart. Still does, quite honestly. He's laying up treasures in his garage. Jesus says, "Lay up treasures in heaven." What are you prioritizing? That's that's the big lesson, I think. The big question: Am I putting anything before Jesus? And verses thirty-two through thirty-four, chapter ten. If you're keeping track, this is the third time now that Jesus tells the disciples exactly what's going to happen. Going to be betrayed condemned to death, they will mock me, spit on me, flog me, kill me. Three days later, he will rise. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Disciples still don't get it. They're still partially blind, just like the guy in the first story. How do I know they still don't get it? Because in chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, James and John, the brothers, sons of thunder, they're arguing. They're not arguing this time about who's the greatest. They think they've got that figured out. They're the greatest. Because they tell Jesus, listen, Jesus, when you get to heaven, let's forget about all this talk about death and flogging, blah, blah, blah. Listen, when you get to heaven, grant to us that we might sit on the right hand and one on your left in your glory. That's what we want to do, Jesus. We want the best houses, the best seats in the house. They're not getting it. Very, very blind. And then we get to the final story. Chapter 10. 46 through 52, blind as a bat, Bartimaeus gets his sight. It doesn't take two steps like the guy in Mark 8. This is the one-time deal, last healing. It, 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 it's for, for the guy. He, he hears that Jesus is coming down the road, and blind Bartimaeus yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Anyone within earshot would have known that was a sign. That was a messianic title, son of David. So blind Bartimaeus, blind as a bat, Bartimaeus, sees better than the disciples who were with Jesus for three years. Have mercy on me, Messiah. And Jesus goes up to Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? He goes, I want to see. And boom, done. And then Jesus says this, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. But old Bart, he didn't go on his way. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, followed Jesus on the way. 
That's what I want for you. That's exactly what I want for you. You know, you may be told, go on your way. No, I don't want you to go on your way. I want you to go on the way with Jesus. I want you to go with him on your way. That's it, that's the point. Whew, all that, 118 verses. What did it take us, 15 minutes, too long. Um, we can't, we can't, we need to zoom on on one verse. Let's just, we can't look at all 118. I've just tried to do my best in, in getting there. Let's zoom in on one, just one verse. There's the most important verse in the gospel according to Mark is in this passage. It's one verse before we get to blind Bartimaeus. Mark 10, 45. If you were using your journal, circle that, put a star by it, underline, whatever you gotta do, Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come? Not to be served. By all rights, he should have been the one to be served. Marcus spent the better part of 10 chapters telling us that Jesus is doing things that only God can do, healing hundreds, uh, uh, feeding thousands, calming storms, chasing demons, forgiving sins, raising the dead. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's the one. He's the only one that deserves to be served. If anyone who's ever walked on this spinning globe of ours deserves to be served, it's Jesus. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And, And given that truth, my fellow brothers and sisters... Just take a wild guess as what Jesus would want from us. The one who deserved to be served. Well, the Apostle Paul put it this way. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. My brothers and sisters, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. It's not about your rights. It's not about your way. It's not about what's in it for you. You don't have to be first best, on top, receive the glory, be like Jesus, a servant, washing feet, loving the outcast, caring for the brokenhearted. In a pandemic, we have plenty of opportunities. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, love everybody. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. What's a ransom? You know what a ransom is. The kidnapper calls up, nabs your friend, This is what, I want a million bucks to get him back. In Jesus' day, a ransom was paid to those who were enslaved because of the debt that they owed. If you owed too much, they could make you a slave. So you paid the money to to release that person from their indebtedness. You paid the debt. If any of you bought or sold a house, you know how it goes. In Michigan, you get your realtor and the the seller gets their realtor and you show up at the title company and you sign all sorts of papers. I called our resident realtor, Judy Cox. I said, Judy, what's the average number of, of, of 
signatures needed at a house closing. She said usually around 30, 30 signatures, 30 documents. She said, I've seen somewhere as many as 60, 60 documents. And you know what it is. You sign your name, sign, sign, sign. You're saying, I know I've got this huge debt. I'm going to pay it back. Listen, all of us have a huge debt that we couldn't pay back. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has a debt we couldn't pay back. You, me, the, the best of us, every one of us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We all have a debt we can't pay back. The wages of sin is death. The ransom is too high. We can't pay it. We can't buy it. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. The price is too high. Earlier in this passage, Jesus talked about sin and temptation and hell. That's what we deserve. That's what our sins have bought us. That's the hole we've dug. That's the pit we're in. But listen, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. And he's telling the disciples, listen, boys, this is how it's going to go down. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked, spit on, beaten, crucified, dead, buried, third day, rise. I'm giving my life as a ransom for many such an important verse, Mark 10, 45. Back in the day, we used to memorize scripture a lot more than we do now, but I, th- I wish, I wish, I wish we could memorize that verse. It's not hard. The Son of Man came to give his, uh, to, to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think we could memorize that, especially with my friends up here. Landon, let's help, help me as we teach this verse. Could you do that? You might need to clap or snap your fingers. You got to follow along. Here we go. Are you ready? The Son of Man came to give, not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. One more time. The Son of Man came. Are you saying it? Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came. Are you saying it? Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, to give his life as a ransom for many. Maybe you need to stand and sing it. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom for many. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, get that. Stay standing. We're going to close pretty quick. But I want you to know Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. He calls us to do the same thing. He gave his life as a ransom for many, yeah, but for you and me. 
And some of you, maybe you've been just dipping your toes in faith. You haven't really dove in. Jesus teaching that there really is, in this passage, there really is a place called heaven. There really is a place called hell. There really is, there really is an eternity that we need to prepare for. And if you've never, never, never accepted Jesus, maybe you've been dipping your toes in it. Maybe your grandparents have, your parents have, maybe your kids or your friends have. But you've never really accepted Jesus in your life. You've never experienced the, the price that was paid for your salvation. We want to give you that opportunity today. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to pray what sometimes we call the sinner's prayer. It's a prayer asking Jesus to come into our life and establishing a brand new place in us. And when I'm done, the, the band's going to play a song, and if you want to, you can come down to the altar if you're deciding you're going to follow Jesus. A pastor will pray with you down here during the song. Not socially distant, but they'll pray with you. Or if you prepare, when the song is done, we're going to go, and, and there'll be a pastor at each flag, and you can go there and talk to them. See, the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. Lord, we are so thankful for for your coming to this old earth and your enduring, enduring the scorn and the shame. You told the disciples three times on the way to Jerusalem what was going to happen. They didn't get it. You were going there. You were going to be beaten, flogged, crucified, buried, but three days later, rise again. You came to this world to show us the way and to give a ransom to pay the price for our salvation. Some of us have never accepted that free gift. And we pray today that today might be the day. So as we sing this closing song, Lord, if there's anyone here that needs you into their heart and life, we, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive them of their sins, set them on the right course, give them hope for tomorrow and the future forever. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you can do in an individual's life that totally transforms them. Oh, Lord, help us to come to the altar and give our all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.